0: Welcome to Applaudable Perspectives. This is Pam Lewis, and I'm sitting here at the beautiful Belmont Mansion. Which, if you never had a chance to come visit, I sincerely urge you to come and take a visit. I know so many people uh, traveling always ask me places to visit. I always say Belmont Mansion, and people who have lived here have never visited. So, do come and take a visit. I'm sitting here with Mark Brown and his cohort in crime, Jerry and say hello today, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about history, the importance of history, how we are interpreting history these days, and uh, what are some of the challenges. Mark, why don't you start? You and I have known each other for a long time. I mm-hmm. used to be on your board. Um, tell everybody a little bit about your background, how you got started, and your education. And I know you've been here your entire adulthood, basically.
1: Yes, <laughs> basically, yes. Basically, yes. Uh, I came first to Nashville to go to school at Belmont. Uh-huh.
0: What uh, was it Ward Belmont then?
1: Uh, no, it was not <laughs> quite Ward Belmont then. <laughs> it had, it wasn't quite that long ago. It had been co ed a couple of years <laughs> from
0: the time I got here.
1: Uh, it was in the it was in the the mid seventies. And uh came here to study history and thought I was going to be a history teacher. And while here I got interested in working here at the mansion. Uh, The association had just formed the year before I arrived.
0: Was it open as a house museum at the time? It was
1: not open as a house museum at that time. Bad shape? Bad shape. It wasn't, yeah, it was in bad shape. It was also, I mean, it had been used heavily by the colleges.
0: Dormitory. As
1: dormitories, and then as parlors, as the dean of women's office as the dean of women's apartment, just, and it looked like it had had, you know, a hundred years of college use Mm. uh, here. Fortunately, the public rooms, most of the public rooms in the house, the parlors were kept pretty well intact. And so, they were, uh, their architectural features were retained. So, I came here as a student and... And what were you uh, studying? I was studying history. history. Okay. With a minor in education. Okay. And uh, my major professor said, you need to go get involved in the mansion. So, I dutifully came up here and started. Volunteering as a student and working up here, and realized that that's really where my passion was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, was in public history, decorative arts, fine arts, and and this type of thing, that type of that part of history. What the French call the la petite history, mm-hmm. the little history, the history of everyday activity, everyday life, um, and somewhat everyday people, but the way. Mm-hmm everything sort of functioned Mm -hmm. and I became so fascinated with that so I soon decided I wanted to work in house museums so I dropped the minor in education and picked up a minor in business administration Mm -hmm. and then started going to UT Nashville and um, also getting a minor in art history Mm -hmm. uh, at UT Nashville and once I graduated from here after four years, I went on to Middle Tennessee State University in their public history program uh, there. And then after two years there, I took my first job uh, as director of Blount Mansion in Knoxville, Tennessee, under the, okay. the territorial governor mm-hmm. uh, William Blount.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Blount County, Blount is, County named is named after him, him. Mm-hmm. and
1: uh, and so I was there for seven years. And um, Were was, you
0: always keeping in touch with Belmont? Always
1: was keeping in touch with Belmont, and and ha-
0: had it been opened at that point?
1: Yes, it opened to the public on July second, nineteen seventy six, wow. on a regular basis, and I was the tour guide that day.
0: Oh my word! <laughs> oh, was it furnished at all, or did? Oh, you... it
1: was it was furnished somewhat. Furnished. Yeah. We had already removed all of the. Or most of the non-period pieces. Mm-hmm. So there were 70 pieces of furniture in the house. There was not any. There were no smalls, no accessories,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, no artwork hanging on the walls. Wow! Uh, at all, it was it was pretty grim.
0: That's hard to imagine. It's now, hard wow. to
1: imagine, but the house had good bones, and uh, so it, people were interested, and it fortunately was an interesting story. Yeah. yeah. And so I. After I graduated, they hired a series of directors, and so I came back 35 years ago. Ms. Oh honest. my gosh!
0: And you're just it's a direct. pup still. Just a pup still. Yes. And You're sporting a beard. I like the beard. <laughs> it's, it fits. It fits you very it's, professorial. Yeah. 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 Jerry, do you want to be mute or do you want to talk a little bit? Do you, I'll you, talk a little. You, bit. So you've been involved for 10 years here. I have. Tell tell the people a little bit about yourself, your last name, and and how you got involved with Mark and Belmont.
2: Uh, my name is Jerry Trescott, and I'm the curator here and also the Director of Architectural Restoration. I've been here for 10 years now. Uh, my wife was a student of Mark's when
0: he... Really? Taught oh. classes at
2: UT when you were in Knoxville. Wow. And uh, Mark and I had met because we went to the same graduate school uh-huh. together, uh-huh. not at the same time, uh, even though I'm older. He, <laughs> and It's
0: all relative. <laughs> it is, it is.
2: Uh, and I of course knew Belmont when I was in graduate school here in Middle Tennessee and, and had come several times to look at what was going on in the restoration and, and was intrigued by the architectural integrity of this property.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when my, my wife and I decided to move back to Nashville, I, I'm from Maryland and we lived there most of our lives, and then came back here. Uh, we redeveloped a relationship with Mark. Uh, my wife worked here doing research for a few months, and then Mark said, "What's Jerry doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Just...
0: And the bait was set. <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. So, and I have um, gladly been involved here for a long time now, mm-hmm. and. Been involved in the restoration and planning it and putting things together and overseeing what goes on and working with all the objects that we've been able to locate in the time that we've been working together. It's been a good working relationship, I think, for the two of us uh, because we both bring different sorts of talents, Mm -hmm. and when you pair them together, you're able to accomplish so much more.
0: And you've weathered COVID. That's one of the things we were talking about, that you continue to write grants and continue to raise money and do projects. And uh, why don't you both sort of talk a little bit about what you've just finished and kind of uh, maybe give people a tour of what you're working on and how they might be able to help and get involved in some capacity.
2: There's one room in particular in this house that I've had my eye on for the entire time I've been here. Mm-hmm. And that is the Bayard Room, which has seen several different lifetimes since 1890 when the college took over. And it's always been my goal to get to the point in this restoration that we could move into that space. This house has been about adalicia from the day it was built. She paid for it. She oversees what we do now in one way or another through our research primarily. But we often forget that she was married to a man named Joseph Mm Acklin who had his own interests, his own powers in life. And this this billiard room, as I see it, will bring him back to life also. Mm -hmm. And it's also a space that architecturally and proportionally, I think, is one of the most perfect rooms in the house we've been able to uncover many of details of that room in the last year, particularly in the last two weeks when we finished cutting the last of the college walls out of that space, and now we're looking forward to putting things back to what they would have been in the 1850s. Mm-hmm.
0: I was excited, I just you were kind enough to show me. Yes. And so, so talk about some of the things you have found kind of in your excavation. people might that's
2: an excellent way to put it (laughs) because it's an architectural excavation I
0: wasn't gonna say archaeological dig but close to it
2: (laughs) very much so you've seen the space Uh, a house will always tell you what it was and what it needs to be again I've Mm -hmm. learned that in my career Uh, when you walk into a building it's not what you want it to be it's what it was and what it should be again Mm -hmm. and this house in particular has so many clues left. We're very lucky that in the 1890s, the college hired some pretty lazy carpenters. And they covered <laughs> up more than they tore out.
0: But in, at least it was protected in some, protected in some yes, ways. Is exactly. it, it's a double-edged sword, you know. It,
2: exactly. So I think one of the best things that we have found in that room is the remnant of the original 1850s floorcloth. cloth. That was under a wall that was added in the eighteen. Which can now
0: be replicated.
2: Exactly.
0: And you found some wallpaper.
2: We found some French wallpaper mm-hmm. in the back of two hidden bookcases that had been plastered over for about a hundred years. Wow. And we were It's found like peeling
0: th- away It is. like an onion skin almost, exactly you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. It's exciting.
2: I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Very much so.
0: So, the other thing that you are interpreting is African American history here we
2: ha-
0: so you've got have to. you have uh that's really uh expanded, and the story has changed and and probably your audiences have also changed. Mark, why don't you since you've been here for so long, talk a little bit about how your interpretation of history has changed, and what I love about both of you is your you're constantly studying. You're constantly going through self-reflection on how to do your jobs better, how to tell the story better. So share a little bit about your thoughts on, on these things too.
1: Well, it was interesting. When I started to work here 35 years ago, telling the story of a rich white woman was very revolutionary and very cutting edge. Um, who had a prenup. Who had a prenup. And, <laughs> you know, who, who had two prenups with two husbands. Oh, that's true. And so uh, she she was acting outside of her sphere mm-hmm. of life during that period, as they would say. So that was considered to be very cutting edge. There were very few museums in the country talking about women, Mm -hmm. and,
0: um... Was it because the women hadn't found their power, or they just buried those stories? Or maybe it was a combination of both? It was a
1: combination of both. I think there was more burying those stories Mm -hmm. than anything else. Um, They're difficult, they're many times more difficult to document, Mm-hmm. Because there's not always the written trail mm-hmm. uh, that you have with men, particularly powerful men, mm-hmm. uh, leave often a good documentation of written trails. Sure. Um, women don't often do that. Women in this period, particularly the antebellum period, um, seldom express their feelings in letters mm-hmm. and their thoughts in letters. So you're always trying to read between the lines. But that was what we were uh, were doing uh, 35 years ago. And they ago. may
0: or may not have kept a journal, which it in this case, Adelicia
1: did not. Either if she kept one, it, it has not, not survived. survived yeah. I can imagine at some point in her life she didn't. but. None have survived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's not even really a great group of letters mm-hmm. uh, from her any anywhere. There's some small groups, but not, nothing major. And we really have been all over the eastern United States and to Texas looking for uh, information.
0: Well, and, and what I think you've done a great job at is is finding and restoring original artifacts to the home, which right. is not easy to do. No. But some of them you've been able to negotiate with family members, and some you've been able to purchase, I'm assuming, as well. Right. So,
1: Yeah, the collection was dispersed in 1889, um, um, mm-hmm. had sold the property and moved to Washington, D.C. Um, died before the furniture's were removed out of the house. Mm. She had some in D.C. So the kids c- came in and took what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as I tell guests, it, you know, it's just mother's old used furniture.
0: Right, sure, and sure.
1: S- things do not change. And so then there was a giant estate sale here that went on for three days. Oh my, what year are we talking? we were talking the summer of
0: 1889. Okay,
1: wow. Um, 88, the 88. Summer, sorry, the summer of 1888. Okay. And uh, fortunately, the newspapers covered it pretty um, well and talked about who bought what pieces and how sure. much they paid for them. And so uh, that has been helpful as well. But And then some pieces stayed with the house, and the house became a school in the fall of 1890. And there's been a school on this site ever since. Ever since, since. Yeah. sure. And the, some of the original Items never left the house. They
0: mm-hmm. just always stayed with the house. One of the things I love about Belmont, even though there's been buildings added and construction, you can still envision what it must have been, how majestic on the top of a hill, the beautiful mountain on the top of a hill, and her formal gardens and her zoo and the uh, all the trappings of wealth and the sculptures, etc. Right. Uh, so talk a little mm-hmm. bit about... Um, Last year it was a very turbulent year. We mm-hmm. are still dealing with some of that turbulence uh, with certainly COVID hitting and then George Floyd and BLM. And it was a perilous time for museums, for sure, uh, many of which had to close. Mm-hmm. And um, difficult, sometimes it's difficult to tell history uh, in the context of what we're dealing with in the current day. So talk about kind of, what happened with your job and how? Uh, some of the issues you had to deal with, and and also some of the things that you've been really proactive about. I know, you know, in visiting your gift shop several years ago, you were talking about African American history. You had panels set up, and now you're branching into even more uh, interpretation. So, talk talk a little bit about that and kind of how you've tried to be proactive.
1: Yeah, well, I had been researching um, the enslaved population here for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about powerful white women not leaving a written trail, then let's talk about enslaved people certainly do not have very much of a, of a written trail uh, that they have left, so um, through just a number of different types of documents worked on putting together. Just started with a list of the names mm-hmm. of the people who. How
0: lived many slaves here. were here at the? At, do you have uh, any idea when at its he, in its heyday, how many people were enslaved well, were the working here? Well, the
1: eighteen sixty census, mm-hmm. which is the most complete um, document that we have, and uh, listed thirty two enslaved people mm-hmm. living here. Uh, unfortunately, it only lists them by gender, mm-hmm. and by complexion and age, Interesting. And so age. no names are given. So that's all we have. Um, there seems to be about 10 family groups mm-hmm. uh, living here, and uh, they range in age from, I think, two months old to in, in their 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, that we have. We have some legal documents that give names. We have a few letters, just these casual, off-handed letters of... um, You have
0: a photo, you said?
1: We have, well, we actually have one, and it was done much later. Mm -hmm. Um, It was done, she was enslaved. Uh, but she lived at Fairview. She worked here at Belmont as a freed person after uh, the Civil War. But her family was connected uh, with um, the Franklin family and the Ackland family and um, continued living in the Fairview area up until even today. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of her descendants. Well,
0: Fairview is out toward Hendersonville. It's out mm-hmm. towards uh,
1: Hendersonville, mm-hmm. the, the Fairview. Uh, plantation or
0: really farm. Horse, farm. horse farm yeah out, out and it there. still exists but of course it's been all subdivided the last all... the last plantation i guess right. is what it's called, it's called
1: now. yeah and so uh but we had been working on documenting that and really thought and really have a pitiful poor amount of information but just we eventually got most of the name and now we've been able to in, in later with some new advance With digitalization, Mm -hmm. all of this digitalization that is taking place now of newspapers, books, and army records, um, uh, Freeman's Bureau records, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, you now can do in minutes and a few hours of what it would have taken days Mm -hmm. to do in the past.
0: Did you have any um, of the enslaved people become soldiers?
1: Yes, we have uh, three of the enslaved people here that we know became soldiers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One uh, eventually moved to St. Louis, we've even located his grave Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: in St. Louis. Uh, Another one, we can trace him to the end of the war and uh, disappears Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the war. the third one also joins, and that's all we know, Randolph, we believe, is impressed. To um, go, They all go over to Fort Nagley, uh, which is where there was um, uh, groups of in, in former enslaved and enslaved people living mm-hmm. right around in horrible conditions right around Fort Negley and they were they were building the fortifications for Mm -hmm. the city of Nashville
0: the shanty town the shanty town Mm -hmm.
1: and and in the and the fortifications for the city were enormous and the second most fortified city in America by December 1st of 1864 most likely wow and so these and these these laborers had built and uh, all of this. And we think Randolph did not survive. We think he died mm-hmm. uh, there at uh, Fort Nagley. Mm-hmm. Another one of the problems we have is we have very few last names. I see. Mm-hmm. And then when you start talking about the women, that becomes even more problematic and, of course, with the changing of names. So they, they
0: weren't had. called Ackland? Their last name wasn't Ackland? Or... A
1: few are called Ackland mm-hmm. by a number of different spellings. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, just all sorts of different spellings. Uh Um, We don't know whether that was the name given to them for some of these records or whether they actually chose that name Mm -hmm. and continue to use that name. Um, We've gone through the city directories in Nashville. And certainly a number of African Americans with the name Ackland show up. We've had been very, very difficult to connect them back to specific people here. For example, William. We know William was approximately 19 years old in 1865. He's still living here at Belmont in 65. He testifies in a case for the... Freeman's Bureau, but there are five William or four William Acklands living in Nashville by 1870. We don't know which one uh, he
0: is. So where was the Freeman's Bureau located? Do you know? Was that in downtown Nashville somewhere? It would in downtown, somewhere? but mm-hmm. I don't
1: know where exactly mm-hmm. uh, the offices were
0: mm-hmm. uh, in
1: downtown Nashville. Those records have not produced a lot of Uh, information for us. We've Hmm. just not, we've looked at them, we've just not been able to to glean much information out of them yet. Mm -hmm. I think there are still a few more that are out there that will become available.
0: Well, and one of the things that we talked about today that you shared with me is this new wing to Belmont Mansion Mm -hmm. that will be interpreting African American history, which is very exciting, and you're really starting work on that Virtually immediately, mm-hmm. hope to have it completed maybe by the end of the year and then some interpretation at first right. quarter of next year. Right. So when the word gets out, perhaps there'll be other people that come forward and say, Hey, I've got some information and maybe you can share it, which right. would be great too. We're
1: hoping, I mean, we, we posted a number of years ago uh, information on our website and uh, it's being updated uh, regularly. And we were hoping this would bring, but so far it is not. Sure, sure. And we have completely changed our interpretation, well, not completely changed, we have added and redone our interpretation quite thematically last summer. Uh, the first thing I learned in graduate school in a, a class on the writing of history at 7.30 on a Saturday morning, <laughs> uh, Oh, that's was, tenacity. Yes, uh, it was, um, that... Each generation has to write their own history. Mm -hmm. And that the the point was not necessarily that um, history changes, but the questions we're asking history change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way to look at museums today, Mm -hmm. is the questions that the public is asking is changing. And so we're trying to understand the questions that they're asking. There certainly is a lot more emphasis and interest in uh, African-American history now. So that has been working to our tours um, a lot more.
0: Um, Do you think the average tourist is more knowledgeable? Are they history buffs or are they just here? vacationing in Nashville, and they have a few couple hours. I mean, what, what's the average tourist that finds their way to Belmont?
1: There is no average tourist that okay. finds their way to Belmont. No, okay. There, I mean, it is it is um, sort of it's interesting and somewhat shocking on uh, a typical day of watching the people come through. You have uh, people that are knowledgeable in history, uh, well-educated, Um, upper class, obviously socioeconomically upper class, and um, very knowledgeable. And then uh, the next group that come in may arrive on a Harley-Davis motorcycle, be tattooed and wearing Mm -hmm. Mm t-shirts. They're looking for a different experience. Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways, they're looking for a different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the others, but there, it's all about being immersed into the the spaces, mm-hmm. and I think that's what house museums do better
0: mm-hmm.
1: than most any other museum. Is you can become immersed in the
0: space. Imagine what it would have been like. M-
1: imagine what it would have been like. Get a under get a better understanding of the way the way people live, the way they function. We try to talk about uh, some of their beliefs and their view of the world and how that has affected uh, us today. Mm -hmm. And so that's all part of it. And then also, a lot of people are here. They they like antiques. They want to see pretty rooms and a pretty
0: house. And beautiful gardens. And beautiful gardens, yeah. The county have done a phenomenal job with the grounds. Do you think... um and when we've become an it town, for sure. I mean, when oh, yes. you, for sure, as long as I've lived here and as long as you've worked here, we've really changed drastically. For, uh, really, Nashville has changed enormously. And, and I think certainly the television show Nashville brought people here. I'm wondering if people's fascination with Downton Abbey, different country, different period but maybe that got people more interested in houses and and antiques, I'm just wondering. I think we
1: certainly were hearing more references to Downton Abbey Mm -hmm. when it was on. Mm -hmm. So I think there was, uh, people became fascinated uh, with that and that also was excellent in giving more insight to what was happening below the stairs.
0: Exactly.
1: And yeah. so you have these parallel lives mm-hmm. going on uh that uh intersect, but they're really running the the and so that part of it mm-hmm. became more interesting. I think people are just just more interested in the the more mundane day to day
0: in some respects. Um, mm-hmm. How did they get ice? Where did the ice come from? Mm-hmm. You know these kind of. How did they adapt to new technology when it right. came? Jerry, what what have you discovered in 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 your journey here at Belmont? And of course, billiard room is something you've been interested in. But you were involved with the, the floor restoration, I'm assuming, and. Um, One of the things I love about Belmont is every time I come here, you have tapped artisans that are amazing, like the marbling, the faux marbling, and the graining that have been done here. just unparalleled, you know? I mean, it's rivals' houses in Louisiana, and places I visited, so Um, do you want to add to that at all, some of the things you've worked on?
2: Well, I think one of the most striking things that we've done is just what you mentioned, is is the floor in the Grand Salon. Mm -hmm. You knew the floor before it was changed. It doesn't
0: creak anymore. (laughs) No,
2: it does not. Uh, Two levels of modern hardwood flooring, I called it, developer oak, the type Mm. of things we all saw in our mid-century houses that we grew up in, laid over the original floor. We had two photographs of the Grand Salon, which gave us hints of what the original flooring looked like. And I'm one of those people that I could not stand it,
0: mm-hmm. knowing what was under Underneath. that floor,
2: yes. Yeah. So I cut a small hole in one end of a long gallery that's attached to the Grand Salon. I
0: remember seeing that. And we
2: uncovered <laughs> two of the black and white tiles, and then the hole got a little larger and a little larger and a little larger, and, and Mark was looking, and he said, how far are you going to go with that? <laughs> And I said, the entire room. (laughs) So, we did stop with the exploration and then we started to raise funds to Mm -hmm. uncover the original floor. And luckily we were able to do that and one of the best days I've had here is when the contractors put a circular saw down on the new floor and started to cut it up Mm -hmm. and peel it back Mm -hmm. to reveal the original floor. But we found that there had been major repairs in the original floor over the years, Mm. but the college was here. But there was enough of the original pattern left that we were able to document it. To restore it. it. Yes, Mm. and one of the most interesting things found was one white tile had a handprint in the middle of it.
0: What? Oh my.
2: Mm. And my first reaction was that this is a signature of an African American painter.
0: <gasps> oh, did you it, did you save it? Do you have it somewhere?
2: Well, we it's still in place. We photographed it and we copied it on the floor. That we overlaid the original.
0: Oh my floor. God! Oh, how wonderful! You have to point that out. Okay. I
2: will show it to you before you go.
0: How wonderful!
2: And the interesting thing about the marbleizing, as it was uncovered, I said the people that are doing this marbleizing have never seen a piece of marble.
0: And I think that's very true. Interesting. It's what they imagine it. Would exactly.
2: Look like, I see. Exactly. And so what we have is a folk art
0: yeah, interpretation, very d- very definitely. Yeah.
2: Done by a combination, I think, of African American painters. And we know from my research and what other people have done in the country that construction crews in the 19th century South were largely composed of African Americans. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that much of what was done here in the 1850s and 60s was done by African Americans. And it's wonderful to me that we have been able to expose that, to identify it as a feat of an African American painter, and then be able to talk about it here in the 21st
0: that's, century. And that's so important to talk yes, about it as is, well. it is, And to me, uh, you know, if you visit Belmont, and I hope you all do, have listened to this, Um, the sensibility of what was beautiful and what we think of as beautiful is very, very different. (laughs) I mean, we would consider it to be a bit garish, I would say, maybe is the best word.
1: They were not afraid of color. No. And they were not afraid of pattern. Mm -hmm. And their belief was no surface left undecorated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fear of the vacant uh, (laughs) was, was, uh, I think, best describes the middle of the 19th century.
0: And to be showy about your wealth. Yes. Perfectly acceptable. And praised, frankly, mm-hmm. right? Like the, um, I love the windows as you walk in with the the red windows with the gold in to make the, that so is correct, right? is the yes. a gold oxide, gold oxide, yeah, to make it, right. Um, I'm going to ask both of you uh, if, I, I assume that you have enjoyed your careers and would recommend getting involved in curatorial work, museum work. Is that true? Maybe not. They're rolling their eyes. <laughs> it hasn't always been easy because part of what you do is you have to raise money. You have to
1: raise money, yes. And so, yes, I've, I've, I've certainly enjoyed my career and certainly considered myself fortunate to be able to make a living mm-hmm. uh, doing something that I uh, love doing.
0: Mm-hmm. If someone were, were to follow in your path, what, what, what advice would you offer them?
1: Um, start an IRA immediately.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I always tell students, live below your means. Yes, it's <laughs> true.
1: Yes, go ahead and set up that IRA very early. Once you get those good loans paid off, then start on the IRA. <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> I always tell people to travel. As much as you can travel oh, because it opens yeah. mm-hmm. it opens your eyes and I think people are fearful who don't travel don't get an opportunity to travel and experience mm-hmm. other cultures um,
1: but yeah that that's that's part of it and if you if you don't have an inquisitive mind or be inquisitive about so much stuff many things and want to research and learn more about whatever it is and if you don't have a passion mm-hmm. then but
0: to be a lifelong learner is what you're be, saying to be a
1: lifelong learner mm-hmm. then this is not the field for you
0: mm-hmm. uh, and you got to like people you can't just like things because at the end of yes. the at the end of the day yes. you have to deal with the public mm-hmm. right and you have to answer dumb questions and People who are talking when they should be listening and any any number of things. I'm sure you have a lot of stories about guests that maybe weren't the best on their best behavior, too. Mm -hmm. So that must be difficult. Jerry, how about you?
2: I never remember a time when I wasn't interested in historic buildings Mm -hmm. from a small child. I had a father who was an engineer. And he had a love of history, so I'm sure that's where most of mine
0: comes from. Came from, sure. So you were probably drugged to museums as a child, or I was I was never
2: drugged to a museum. I was the one who always said, let's go there. Let's go, let's go. But
0: you learned an appreciation for history. I did, very much much so.
2: Everything that we do here, you're constantly learning. Mm -hmm. It's not about just peeling back a layer of plaster and finding what's behind it. It's researching what you find. Mm what other people have found, what other people have written about, what their opinions are of certain details that we may find, whether we agree with them or not. It's interesting to know what other people have determined. And I have been introduced several times um, at public speaking events as an expert, and the one thing I want to people to know is you are never an expert you, because you constantly learn.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No mm-hmm. one ever knows it all. Mm-hmm. Particularly in this field.
0: In this field. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close with this one question Why is it important to preserve and interpret American history?
1: Hmm. Historic sites are touchstones to our history. Um, you can read all you want to in a book, in papers, and that certainly is extremely important, and you have a much better understanding of the world in which you're living in if you have done that. But there is something visceral mm-hmm. about being able to stand in at, around a place that contains history.
0: And we're a young country. And
1: we're such a young country. Let's not destroy
0: what little we have, really. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jerry? You want to add anything?
2: I can remember that the first time I went to Williamsburg as a child, I was absolutely enthralled because it was a village of another time. Mm -hmm. And they have a motto that the future may learn from the past. And I think that is one of the most important things that we can teach people who are interested in this field that they need to grow from it and understand the past to be able to go forward.
0: Mm-hmm. have a point of reference. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You made me lunch. You gave me a history <laughs> tour. And you've been so generous with your time. Thank you for listening to Applaudable Perspectives. If people want to go to your website, what is it? And if they want to make a donation, Where should they send money? Uh,
1: The website is BelmontMansion.com.
0: Belmont, B-E-L-M-O-N-T, one L. -L.
1: Uh Uh-huh, mansion.com, yes. I don't know what our website address (laughs) is. (laughs) That's okay. And the address is 1900 Belmont Boulevard. You can make a donation on our website, uh, and you can do a Google search and get to it. Make sure you go to Belmont Mansion in Nashville, Tennessee, not Belmont Mansion in Philadelphia.
0: Uh, 37212.
1: 37212. Two.
0: Nashville, yes. Tennessee. Thank you so much. This has been a bonanza of a day for me.